Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. All right. So uh, do you have a Bible with you? Everybody have a Bible? Okay. Now, I'm old school, so I like having a Bible. And I'm getting used to the fact that Bibles don't just come in binders anymore. They come in phones and other stuff. So if you have one of those too, I like to read the Word of God along with us so that you can see the Word of God because I think we're transformed by the Word. And we expound upon it, but the Word will keep working after service. If you read it and look at it, it'll keep working. Amen. And so I want to look at that. And Pastor Steve had been talking about community. And I gave the guys some slides to put up, but I gave them last minute. So if they don't completely jive, hang in there with me, okay? He's been talking about community, right? And we've seen some awesome things. I've heard some awesome things that's been very inspiring to me. I remember Jeff preached one Sunday. How many remember Jeff's sermon when he talked about community? And Jeff kind of said something that kind of made me have to go back to a couple things. He says that maybe... The book of Matthew was Jesus trying to teach us that the power of God works best in community. In other words, is more effective in community than it is for the individual. Out on your own alone, you won't experience the fullness of what God has for you. But when you can connect to community, you can get the most out of it. Does that make any sense to you? All right. So I want to speak from Matthew a little bit, and I have a couple of other things that I have in my heart and mind to do. I want to pray just for a second in just a moment. But if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter, chapter 6, I believe it is, we, is where we want to go. And we're going to look at a couple of different things. We won't read all the scriptures that I put up, but I'm hoping, too, that you would take some notes for scriptures and kind of pursue the thought a little bit, Okay. The thought may not be very clear here today, but if you pursue it, God might continue to speak to you on it. Is that okay? But before I start there, my subject today, the point I want to talk about today is belonging. 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 Psychologists say one of the most important things to human beings is to belong. They actually go far and say most of our motivations, if not all, are designed to belong. We are motivated to belong. We want to belong. Anyone here ever feel like an outsider? You ever felt like that before? Like you didn't belong? That's not a good feeling. And when we come, especially to a new place or new people, we want to know if we will be accepted. Is that right? We want to know if we will be accepted. We want to belong. And we won't stay anywhere where we don't feel like we are accepted. As a matter of fact, most people, when they don't feel like they belong in one group, they'll go out and find or form a group to belong to. Does that make sense? So if you don't feel like you fit in your nuclear family, you'll go out and form another family with some folks that you do feel like you belong in. That's how all of these cults and gangs and stuff come up. There's people who need to belong. And most of the time you've heard they say birds of a feather flock together. Most of the time, what you'll find is people with likenesses will begin to form bonds and make their own group. You'll see that in the Bible. 
you'll see that across your own cultures. But when you read in John, for example, there was a pool called Siloam where blind and lame and halt lay there all the time because they had something in common. We all blind, we all lame, we all halt. So we can feel at least accepted over here with our differences. Does that make sense? And so belonging is so important that I suggest to you that God knew that from the beginning. And that's one of the primary points of his message. How many of you have heard the scripture say, I will be your God and you will be my people? That's God trying to say to you and I, I will belong to you and you will belong to me. But I want to suggest it's more about we than I. I will be your God, but you, now that you is inclusive, you will be my people. Does that make sense? I would also hold that sin separates. Sin isolates. Sin causes us to feel like we do not belong or we may not belong or we will be condemned and judged and kicked out. How do you know that, Tony? First thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned was ran and hid from a good God and covered themselves. Then they did something different. They also tried to blend into the background, hid among the trees, because they didn't want to stand out or stick out or be out front. They didn't want to be noticed. Sin separates and first makes us feel like outcast, outsiders. Does that make any sense? Then it isolates. It makes us feel like you're the only one. Nobody else is going through what you're going through. Then it makes us want to blend in. I don't want no one to know. I don't want no one to see me. It makes us try to blend in. I'm just trying to, I can play the background. I don't want to be out front. Sin does that to us because we have a fear of being judged. Does that make any sense? All right. So I want to talk with you from a little bit in Matthew. And that's where I want you at. But I want to read something to kind of set the stage for the message today. I'm reading this, and I'm not asking you to read it because I want you to hear it, okay? I just want you to listen to it. This comes from Ephesians, and it comes from the second chapter of Ephesians, and then from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. These are some things you've probably heard before, but I want to read them for the point of belonging, okay? All right? So Ephesians... Chapter 2, if you want to read along with me, in Ephesians, you can certainly read along, but I want you to listen, all right? How many of you have heard Ephesians 2 and 10, and here's what it begins to read. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. For we, we are his craftsmanship. We are his masterpiece. I am not his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. He's making something unique and special with us. And there's a work for us to do that he has purposed it before the time began. Does that make sense? We are, I imagine that if I'm going about trying to be the masterpiece all by myself, it's not going to work very well. But when we can get together and understand what he's creating through us, we begin to get a hold of his purpose. All right? Ephesians chapter 4. 
Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. Most of us have heard most of this before about him giving us gifts. But verse number 16 is where I want to start at. And it says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. From him, the whole body. There's a word in the Bible, in the Hebrew, in Greek rather, uh, for whole. The word pas, P-A-S, is the Greek word for whole in the Bible. And in the New Testament, it's used quite a few times, but my, most often it means the total thing with consideration of every individual thing as it applies to the whole thing. Does that make sense? God is concerned about the total thing, and he concentrates on the individual thing to ensure that it contributes properly to the whole outcome. Does that make sense? So when God says he wants us to be whole or he's concerned about us being one in the spirit, he is concerned about the health of every individual as it relates to the health of the whole. Does that make sense? So if I'm healthy, that's good. But if my, my health doesn't contribute to the whole, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? So I was reading uh, in Matthew and the Gospels, if you'll go there for me. See that word up there? Belonging. That's what we're talking about today. So I want you to follow along with me because I need your help. It's going to be a difficult track if you leave me by myself. All right? All right. Matthew. In Matthew, how many know the story Jesus goes, gets baptized, and after he's baptized, he's driven to the wilderness, right? 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, right? I'm thinking, what a story. His dedication, his commitment, his, his faithfulness in the desert. He speaks to the enemy who tries to seduce him in the desert. The word of God says, get thee by me. Man shall not be lived by bread alone. All those great things he said, right? And he overcomes in the desert, he overcomes so much so that the Bible ends his time in the desert by saying the angels ministered to him. And he came up with great power and authority. Is that right? I would have thought coming out the desert, you'd be ready to do something. You got power. He comes out the desert. And in Matthew, you know the first thing he does when he gets out the desert? Matthew, go to chapter 4 with me. Say you there. Verse number 12. When... Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. He returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. He comes out of the desert. He's at home in Nazareth. Say, Mom, I got to go. I'm moving to Galilee. I'm going down to Naphtali and Galilee. Now, that doesn't make a big difference to you and us because we don't understand the geography of it and why. I'm surprised that his first move would be to move. But where did he move? He moves to Galilee, the land of the Gentiles. In other words, there was so much culture diversity here and so much worldliness here that the Jews who lived there had no voice. They were overwhelmed by the culture of that time. It was in northern 
Canaan where they used to own the land, but Naphtali and Zebulon were the first ones to be defeated. They lost their land. So it's a fertile land, though it's a large market there. But these people, the Jews who live there, are not considered by the Jews who live in Nazareth, Bethlehem, Judea. In Judea, those are the real church folks. In Nazareth, those are the used-to-be's, the fallaways, the rejects. They're outside. That's why I say they lived in the land of the shadow of death. They lived in darkness. And Jesus' first move when he gets out of the desert was to go to the people who lived in darkness to take his ministry first to the people who were farthest outside, the rejects, the outsiders, not to the folks who seem to agree with him and understand it and know it. Does that make any sense? You see, it's easy to feel at home with the group you agree with, with people you like. It's easy to connect to folk who agree with you, people you like. But when people are different, it's harder to connect. It's difficult because you don't think you have very much in common. However, the Bible says we ought to be a one faith, right? One mind. In other words, here I am, an African-American man standing in front of you, talking to you, and you may not be able to figure out what we have in common because you might be moved by the difference you can clearly see. How many of you know what we have in common? Now, that's good, and that's important, but it's not quite there. We do have that in common. However, in Ephesians, if you were to read further in Ephesians, you'll find statements along this way. For the sake of time, I'm not reading it, but you can read it. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, continuing through verse 17, 18, 19, and so forth. He says, you yourselves were once outsiders. You ought to understand. You ought to know what it's like. You yourself were once foreigners and outsiders and far from God. But through Jesus Christ, we have all been made one people. You and I are brought back into fellowship, made right. But he says that it's not because of the works you have done. You didn't earn it. It's not because you are in a position that's better than others or you've earned it in some kind of way. But it's the gift God has given you to belong to the family of God, to be a part of what God is doing, to receive the blessings and the grace of God. Yet, there are times when as believers, we exhibit our own forms of social pressure on people who are different, people who don't seem to belong, people who are outsiders. I was talking to a friend and we talked about social pressure and I was thinking, what is it that makes people feel like the social pressure is not a problem? That makes them feel like they are accepted and believe and belong. What is it? Because you say hi to me, you say hello, but that, that, does that make a person feel like they belong? I mean, it could be a good start, right? Is that the thing that makes people feel like, yes, I'm a part of this? What are some things that make people feel like they belong? Now, this is for me to hear from you. Go ahead. You see? Being heard. People want to be heard. Invited. They want to be invited. Fellowship. They want to be a part of. They want to be included. They want to eat together. Man, that's one of the best things you could ever do together is eat. 
I found out from my friend Onesimus, me and him have something in common. I found this out just this morning. I love bacon. He does too. <laughs> Ones, I was like, y'all don't have bacon? He's like, no, I like bacon. I love bacon too, my friend. We got a starting place. What else makes people feel like they belong? Serving together. Somehow or another, working side by side, people kind of creates a connection, right? You know, you and I put out every day what we would call belonging cues. If I'm sitting here and you walk past me and don't look at me, you tell me I don't belong. If I'm sitting here and you don't speak to me, you tell me I don't matter. If you talk to me and you never ask me a question about me, you tell me I'm not important. If you think the way you do it is the way it should be done and you never want to hear my way, you tell me I don't fit. And this is the church of God where there's some X's in here. X whatever. X felon, X alcoholic, X liar, X cheater, X bad student, X whatever. And all of us ought to have some idea of what it feels like to not belong. And all of us ought to have some indication of what, how Christ makes the difference when you feel like you don't belong. Jesus, the first thing he does coming out the desert is he goes to the farthest place away because he can do more miracles there. Those people really want to belong. But watch. Matthew records some strange stuff for Matthew that kind of caught my attention after thinking like this. Matthew is talking to Jewish people, religious people, who got a line of what's right and what should be and what shouldn't be. And the first thing Matthew does is record four women in the genealogy of Jesus. That should have stirred some trouble, but he put it there on purpose. If you read the first chapter, he didn't have to put it there. He says, and the son of David was Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. He could have left that out. Religiously, that's ugly. Then he got Rahab, who was the harlot, who hid the spies in there. You could have left that out. Why you talk about that in church? He got Ruth in there, who was a Moabite woman. Man, come on. Isn't this about clean culture? Why you got to mention the, the Moabite woman, Boaz's wife? You could have just said Boaz. But you got to bring Ruth up. And then he mentions Mary, whom we try to love, but I want you to know for the religious people, she wasn't that lovable. She done had a baby out of wedlock. That's not lovable to religion. But Matthew mentions these four people just to make it plain to the Jews, this is not about only grouping with people who meet your religious standard. Let me start you off with that. God wants to do a new thing, not a religious thing, not another church thing. This is not about everybody being the same. God included a harlot, a prostitute, a Moabitess who was way outside of God's ways to say to the Jewish people, I'm about to create the community, the kingdom of God. I would say, you got to use them. He was saying, this is what I'm going to build it out of. I did notice, too, Jesus in Matthew. If you look a little further down in the fifth chapter, chapter 5, right after he goes out, 
the Bible says he calls two disciples, right? Peter and Andrew, a couple of verses down. This would be verse number what? Verse number 18. He calls Peter and Andrew, and then he called James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And he calls them to be disciples. He's going to train them up to be leaders in his church. He take these common working class men who know nothing religiously, and according to some of the scriptures, they were uneducated. And he decides to build his kingdom leadership on these guys. Whoa. I mean, could you get someone with a degree? Isn't it something we think God's going to do his best work through folks who got degrees and accolades like we do? But God says he choose the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. He goes on, and the first miracle he does after this, because he starts his Sermon on the Mount things, but before he does that, he heals a leprosy. How many of you know in the Bible, lepers were outcasts? They were not supposed to be touched. They was not supposed to be dealt with. They were outside the community. And his first miracle he does in this passage is he heals a leper. He doesn't heal a nobleman or a church official or someone who's been living right all their life and trying to get it. He goes way outside and heals somebody. Everyone would go, ew, a leper. Then he goes and heals, a little further down, a centurion servant, a Roman soldier's servant. How far out can you get? Maybe the leper used to be a Jew but got cast out, but the centurion has never been in there. He's a whole different culture. And he don't heal the centurion, he heals his servant. Goes well outside of what Jewish would have thought. Well outside of what religion would have prescribed to do something radically different. Then he sits down on the side of the mountain and starts teaching. Now, this is what the kingdom is supposed to be about. And you got to have the right attitude to be here because this is what it's built on. And all through Matthew, only thing he ever does is heal rejects. It's amazing. Then I thought about, oh, yeah. That makes sense, because that's how I got here. He went about healing rejects, making room for people who felt like there was no space for them, making people feel part of who always felt outside of, making people know that belonging is important to him, but the first level of belonging is belonging to him. How many of you know the Bible says there are two ways you can fulfill all the commandments? What are they? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I never before thought about why he said those two. I thought he was telling me something I had to do. Go love people. And so in my busy individualistic life, I tried to find time to do that. Go love people. But I got busy. I'm, I'm going to love you in just a minute. Give me a minute. I'm, I got to work. And I was easy to love folks who were in your space every day. It's easy to love, Jesus says, people who you already love, people who are nice to you. But I say to you, love enemies. And I'm telling you, don't just invite folk you would normally invite. Invite folk that you would never invite. That's a stretch. That requires something more than me being religious. That will require me to have a heart for people who were like me outside. That would require me to look at people and see them not as their differences, but as souls God loves. 
as people who are separated from the kingdom and need to experience the love and the grace of God in a real way. It's powerful to look at a person in their eyes and say, hello. How do you know that? Not by what they do when you do that, but what happens to those who never get it. See, people who you ignore every day, they become the stuff you hate. They become the stuff you're trying to get rid of in society. They become the things you start to say, why don't someone do something about it? But what would happen if you and I understood the power of God in our lives? And we could step outside of our culture, step outside of our differences, and be one. Watch this. Can I put you on the spot? At least some of you. Is that okay? I promise it won't be terribly dangerous. Okay. How many of you went to college? You got a degree? Okay. All right. How many of you are born in another country besides the United States? Okay. How many of you speak more than another language as English? More than English. Another language outside of English. Okay. How many of you grew up in an all-black community? You see, you wouldn't know that, would you? How many of you grew up in an all-white community? How many of you grew up around an all-Hispanic community? Okay. How many of you grew up around some other culture that I didn't name? Okay. Now, let me tell you what happened when you got saved. It happened to me, and I want you to kind of imagine if it really happens to you, what happens. So when I go home as an African-American man, I grew up in a town where blacks were on this side and whites were on this side. I had a propensity to be prejudiced. You with me? Right? Uh, in my culture, there are things they call black things. I don't know what they all really are. But they sure let me know when I'm not doing one. Like hockey. That's not a black thing. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, okay. Uh, croquette. Black people don't play croquette. Like, oh, sorry. Right? And I'm sure in other cultures, there are some things that are not your things, right? There are some things that are not white things. That's a black thing. Rap music, whatever it may be, right? You got those kind of things. Anybody got those kind of things? You're not afraid, are you? You got those kind of things that don't fit in your norm as growing up? You got those kind of things? Here's the challenge for me. When you come to me and I got my thing, unfortunately, I look at you through my thing, and you will never fit into my thing. So we can't be one. We might be together, sharing the same space, but we would never be one, because I got a thing and you got a thing. And I ain't in your thing and you ain't in mine. We just standing here with two things, right? Some of us with education believe education is the way to do it. Then you come into a relationship with someone who's not been educated, and you want to make them educated because that's the only way you know how to become one. You got to get educated to become one because that's not my thing. You got that? So then you meet them. You got this little thing going on inside of you. Hi. So who is that? Oh, just so-and-so. She's not educated. No, you don't say it out loud like that. You just act like that because social belonging cues are communicated without words. You just act like that. And they can tell because you hold their hand like it's dirty or you look at them quick or you don't pay them very much. And, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. And you don't know what you're doing. You're hurting people. 
who need to belong. You're rejecting folk who are trying to find acceptance. Your first thought with me is not, oh, a black guy. That's not what it should be, but I understand. Humanly, that's what we do. Then, oh, he must play basketball. (laughs) No, I play croquette. (laughs) But you can't tell looking at me that I can't dance. And when you see me try, you wonder, what's wrong with him? (laughs) I thought all of them could dance. (laughs) And you would be amazed because you have a construct that keeps you divided from me. You say hi, that's good. But you know why it's so hard to connect to me? Because you and I are protecting what we believe. You can't stand it when someone doesn't agree with you because you still hold an allegiance to your human belief, right? I'm divorced. Ew, says the married people who've never been divorced, who are in church and think that's the way it ought to go. Ew. Well, God can forgive you. What? See, we got all kinds of different problems going on right here. But church people make us feel like you ain't supposed to have that. Because I don't have it. I don't know why you don't just trust God. Oh, I'll pray for you. Yeah, but you ain't telling the truth. You had something. That's how you got here. You didn't get here because you're so good. Even if you're really smart, that didn't get you here. If you are debt free, that is not why you're here. Why would you look down on a broke man? Poverty is not the absence of money alone. It's a sign of poverty, absence of money. It's only one sign, though. Galatians got a whole list of things, Galatians 5, that tell you when sin's at work. They are not themselves just sin. They are the works of sin, the evidence of sin. Poverty has evidences of all kinds. So does ignorance. So does lack of education. So does anything else. Maybe you're good over here. This is why Jesus talked about the commandments. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. Because Pharisees and religious people say, well, I do that. Well, cool, I got that together. Well, yes, I'm qualified. Because they have some proof that they can show other people. But Jesus was trying to say, murder is not something that you do outside. It's something that takes place in your heart where people can't see it. And you're guilty of it because you hate it without a cause. And he tried to get them to understand that it's not the visual presentation of likeness and differences that's going to help us. It has to start somewhere else. So let me tell you what happened when I got saved. I had to give up being a black man. I had to give it up. I grew up in a black community with black parents, under black culture. Then I got saved. And I had to step out of black culture into the culture of Christ. And I had to denounce my allegiance to my culture and denounce denounce it to Christ. The reason I can get along with you, because I'm not a black man. I'm a believer. The reason you don't bother me, because I see you just like me. You need Jesus. And you're here because of him. The reason you don't intimidate me, because the same grace that saved you, saved me. 
And the same power that works in you works in me. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has a lot to do with what it did for me, too. It's not just a message I'm trying to tell people that I'm not ashamed of. I'm not ashamed to be a product of it. I was lost in my sins, far from the peaceful shores, very deeply staying within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters, lifted me. Listen, if you are outside, God wants you in. If you're disconnected, God wants you reconnected. If you're feeling unacceptable, that's not the way God designed it. The first place has to be connected is with, Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Because no matter how you connect with other people, there's still shame and guilt from sins you know God should judge you for. And until that's made right, there is no community. It's difficult to get along with other people when I have something to hide. First John chapter 1. You say that you're in the light as God is in the light. Then if you are in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Because when you walk in the light, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not trying to be a good black person so white people can like me. I'm not. Listen, let me tell you something else. You can't love me and ignore the fact that I'm black. Some people say, well, I never noticed color. I'm sorry. Shame. <laughs> Shame. That's to devalue me too. Notice. Hey, I noticed you're black. What's that like? But don't ignore me trying to make me feel like I belong. That doesn't work. Accept me first as a brother and sister in Christ. Connect with me there. Then ask me, what do you like to eat? And I'll tell you bacon. So last thing, I made a big mistake yesterday, I think it was. A couple of my friends are here who can attest to this mistake. I didn't know how big it was until I started praying over this message. And I went, whoa, God, I got to do something. I was, uh, I have breakfast on Saturday mornings with a couple of my friends. And this Saturday when I at uh, the Sherry's, we go in and I go in and we have a young friend there who brought some cupcakes. I wanted to share them with the group. And I did something I didn't even realize I was doing until I started thinking about this message. I'm sharing this because I want you to start thinking about what you're doing. Okay. If we're going to have unity, we're going to have the power of God working in this church. You have to start thinking about what you're doing. I was justified in what I'm about to tell you. And it was still wrong. She brought cupcakes. We sitting in Sherry's. I walk in. They're already there. She holds up a pink tray of cupcakes. Say, hey, have one. I made these. Because you can have a cupcake. Oh, and they were nice looking cupcakes. My brain said, you don't bring cupcakes to Sherry's. I was the law. You don't bring cupcakes to Sherry's. That's wrong to bring food to a restaurant. They sell food. That's where my mind went. I was putting some social pressure on her. Now, I didn't say it to her. I just felt it. So my first response to the cupcakes was out of social pressure. Nah, no thank you. I'll get some afterwards. Because I was under social pressure. Because it's wrong to bring food into a restaurant. 
And I know that. Duh. She don't know that? Everybody knows that. Duh. So I sit down and she, yeah, right. They, amen. She says, uh, no, have one. I made them and they look good. And so I commented on them. Now, I'm only commenting trying to be cordial. Sin. Sin. I'm commenting trying to be cordial. Sin. My motive is all wrong. I'm only commenting trying to be cordial because I'm not in the right perspective. When she offered, I said, yeah, I'll have one afterwards. And true enough, I don't eat a lot of sweets because uh, the doctors claim I have diabetes. What do they know? I, so I do watch sugar intake because I know the reason it looks like I have diabetes because I'm too lazy to go running. And that cupcake stays right there. And then I take a sugar test. All the sugar goes into that thing and it looks like I have diabetes. So I said to her, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to eat it. I'm trying to cut down on sugars. And that's true. But I was hiding behind a truth. I was not thinking about her. I was thinking about me. I was not thinking about her. I was thinking about the social rule. I was not concerned about her in my trying to figure out how to deal with this. Now, all this happened in a few minutes. It wasn't like this story right here. <laughs> I mean, because you could say, why don't you just eat the cupcake, man, if it took all that? Yeah, it wasn't that long. It happened in a few minutes. But what I understood was I wasn't thinking about her. I had no mind about her. My complete thoughts were on me. And I was right. I need to cut down on sugar. I was right. You shouldn't bring food into a restaurant. But she was different. And I wasn't accepting. I didn't let her feel like she mattered, she belonged, and that it was okay. Because she baked those cupcakes out of her heart. She did her best to do something to show she contributes, she's a part of, and it matters. She did them at home without me. Whatever label she went through, it was for us. And I mistaken that, trying to be right. And I hold we overlook people's heart, trying to hold on to right. I hold that we offend people, trying to protect us. And I hold that that doesn't belong in the church. I hold that the Bible says, consider others more than yourself. I could have ate that cupcake and let her feel I appreciated it and that it was valued and that I recognized what she's trying to do. And God would have stopped the diabetes. Uh, Tony, can you just let people get away with that? I don't quite agree with that. I know you don't have to. This is what Tony believes. You don't have to believe that. My faith has taken me to the point I believe that. Ate the cupcake, God stopped the diabetes. That's what Tony believed. It was one cupcake, right? The most important thing was demonstrating to the young lady, and I didn't do that. Listen, sometimes people give you an imperfect gift, an imperfect gesture, an imperfect effort, and I hold you and I kill them over it because it's not right or it doesn't measure up. Here's my challenge to you today. I'm admitting that I'm the first one to step out of my culture in this building. There might be other you who's already done it too. But I refuse to be classified just by my skin color, limited just by my ethnicity, and boxed by my culture. Jesus Christ went into other cultures to call them out into, out of a whole nother culture into a brand new culture, the culture of the church in love that's rooted in love. So when we, when we start, we all start from Christ, having experienced love, 
and we go forward in that same love. Didn't start from culture and try to get to Christ and we all competing to get to him. What color was Jesus? I don't care. His blood ran red and it was for me. What does Jesus want from you? He wants you to love others. You can't do that and hold allegiance to your own culture, your own beliefs, your own ideals, your own ways. You have to let down your ways. Get rid of your ideals and come out of your culture into the culture of believers. I'm first. I might ask the praise team to come. Don't move yet. Because I want to do something odd. Tony's always doing something odd, make us feel uncomfortable. I'm standing right here as the first one in this church who's stepping outside of culture. I'm doing this for the praise team so you could be comfortable. I'm challenging every one of you because I'm looking at you. So you know I'm talking about you. Because sometimes the preacher don't look at you. So he don't want to put pressure on you. This is called social pressure. I want this church. I see this church. And when I came, I believe this church was something God really wanted to do something powerful through and with. And I knew it was supposed to be radically different than what church normally is. I've seen it and experienced it in ways. I've heard of it in ways. And I know it ain't moving fast. But it's moving steady. I watched the sign of it when Pastor Steve did what he did. That was just a piece. That was nothing. Eyes have not seen. Ooh, that's much more. So when I asked the praise team to come, I'm asking folks who can agree to make Christian, believer, their first culture. People who can make his way their way. People who abandon their own forsake it for his to join me at the altar. I don't like religion. I can't stand it. I, I can't stand religiousness. Shake my hand just because it's what we do. No, no, no. You are somebody. You are precious. You belong. You have a vital place. And the only way to really realize it is drop the allegiance to all those ideals that culturally were given to you when they don't line up to Christ. Does that make sense? They must line up with Christ. Jesus goes out of his way to bring you out of rejection into a culture that accepts you. You know, in this culture, you will change if you just stay here. I don't have to police you. If you just keep loving Jesus, you'll let your hair grow back or whatever. You will change. You will love Jesus. I don't have to police you and say, is it wrong to drink? I don't have to do all of that. I don't need to know about your drinking habits. God got a spirit for that. I just need to love you and know that we are all acceptable. So praise team, come on. And this is your time and my time to move to. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 